May we turn to 1st Timothy, 1st Epistle of Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In my evening message, I'm going to discuss with you from the new confession, the confession of 1967, what the old Presbyterian church has done to the, to the church itself. I'm delivering this series of messages Sunday night on the new confession, and I appreciate the wide interest that there is in it and the visitors we're having. But this message tonight, dealing with the church, is exceedingly important because after this new confession comes into operation, the United Presbyterian Church will be an entirely different kind of organization from what it has been in the past. And I am concerned that we all understand this, that the Lord's people understand it. And the message, therefore, which I shall present to you uh, now deals with the church, the church. We have a church here. Last Tuesday night we had our annual meeting. We elected our officers. We heard the reports. We set ourselves up to carry on the normal functions of maintaining this testimony which we have. And all of these things, such as the order and the nature of our operation, are for one purpose, one purpose, that we might maintain here a house of God, that we might maintain the work of God together. Now this text in 1 Timothy finds the apostle writing the young man, saying that I'm going to be delayed, I'm not going to get over to see as quickly as I'd planned, but uh, I'm going to put down some of these things which will be helpful for you so that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is, he says, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now as I approach this text and unfold this truth, there are at least four things in it that I want to present. First, that the church of our Lord is ordained by God. Second, the church of our Lord is a pillar of the truth. Third, the church of our Lord is a place for God's people to assemble and worship. And fourth, the church of our Lord is a place where God's people render him service. Now all four of these matters are encompassed in this text which Paul has given to young Timothy. 
Now, when we say that the church is ordained of God, we must recognize that it is an institution which has been established by God. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, On this rock I'll build my church. And the church has had committed to it certain responsibilities. And God has promised that he will maintain a church on this earth, faithful to his word, until our Savior returns again. Now, we are a part of a visible church. Here it is. And we have erected a structure here in which we may assemble in good order and peaceably. And we may attend to the preaching of the gospel from this place. And we bring our families, we bring our children, we bring our loved ones, and we come week after week, and we say, this is our church. This is the church to which I go. This is the church where I belong. And so many of the things in connection with the church and its place and position, we just take for granted. We've always known it this way. It's always been this way in our families. And we never stop to just look at it and see what it is and why it is it's this particular way. But when I speak about the church being ordained of God, I'm referring to these aspects of the Bible, the teachings of the Scripture, where the apostles went and they ordained elders and and the people assemble together, and he gives certain instructions concerning the elders, their qualification and their functions. You find in the New Testament this emphasis upon ordaining elders and ordaining men who would preach the gospel, and we're assured that we must assemble and not neglect the assembling of ourselves together. Consequently, the Holy Scripture does give unto us a certain pattern, a certain... Uh, order for the uh, construction and the building of a church. And Paul says to young Timothy, I want to tell you about this house of God. And of course what he's referring to in this particular text unmistakably is the local assembly, what we have here. How you're going to order yourself, how you're going to behave yourself, how you're going to run this, how you're going to maintain it. And God wants you to have this information for the better preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, uh, I'm afraid that a lot of people look upon the church as just another organization to which they belong. They're members of the Rotary Club in the town. We belong to a PTA organization over here. We're a member of some hereditary uh, body, uh, the DAR and other associations, and we esteem them very highly, and we pay our dues. And we go occasionally, and we keep up with their program, and we read their little bulletins, and we belong to organizations of this kind. And we think of the church as just another one in the same category, and of course, along with all these other things, I do belong to the Collingswood Church. That's a part of my activities, too. No, beloved. The church is in an entirely different position. It can't even be compared. It's not in the same category. It's not on the same level. It has nothing so far as the functions of these secular organizations is concerned. 
the church has been ordained of God as a special, particular, and peculiar institution which is to carry out certain orders that God wants us to take care of. And it is the duty of every child of God to respect the church, to recognize the church, to be a member of a visible church which is true to the word of God and help preserve and maintain the function and the ministry of the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the first point that we need to recognize is that when you turn to the scriptures, God Almighty has told us that he has given us a church and that the head of this church is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Our head is invisible. Our head is in heaven. Our head rules the church in the word which he's given to us. And the head of the church can be none other than the one who redeemed the church and who brought to himself his body and his bride and the company of the elect whom the Father gave unto the Son. Sometimes I think we're, we're tone, uh, we're, we have a tendency, especially in our fundamental circles, to play down the church, to minimize the church, to let people think that the church is not too important and it's not too, uh, uh, too significant. Beloved, if we are Bible believers and we are fundamentalists and we accept the things that God has taught us in his word, then we will take the attitude toward the church which the Bible takes toward it. And our appreciation and our support and our relationship to it will be determined not by our pleasures or by our desires or by our interests, our relationship will be determined by what the Bible tells us is our duty to the Church of Christ. I am certain that one reason the so-called ecumenical movement, the program to build this great world church, has such a currency among so many people is that they just don't know any better. They haven't been instructed any, uh, in these great matters that concern the purpose and the nature of the church. Now in our own Bible Presbyterian constitution, in what we call our form of government, we have a chapter one which contains what we call preliminary principles. And in chapter one we're told the Bible Presbyterian church in setting forth the form of government which it maintains as being founded upon and agreeable to the Word of God. We have sought from the study of the Scriptures to found this church in its order, in the way we conduct our affairs, upon the Holy Scripture. And furthermore, in areas where the Scripture is not specific, in areas that relate to our activities where the Bible doesn't lay down this point, this point, and this point. And there's a broad area here where the Bible does not go into many of these questions. Then we say that what we do is at least agreeable to the Scriptures. What we do is in an area that uh, 
uh, is not contradictory to what has clearly revealed in the scripture concerning our relationships to one another in the church. So in our church we have elders and we have ministers and we have deacons because they're divinely ordained and appointed in the scripture. And we come and we have the type of worship that we have because we believe that this is the way the scripture would have us to do. We say that the Bible is our only infallible rule of faith, and we emphasize faith, 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 because it's under attack. But it's also our infallible rule of practice, practice, practice. What we do, how we set ourselves up, and the way we organize ourselves. And when you recognize that what we have sought to do in the church is to develop and maintain an institution the main structural lines of which have come down to us from the apostles. We are in a great and a, and a glorious task. We're doing something which is certainly pleasing to God because he's told us that this is the way he wants to have the church itself carry on its work. Now I want you to know how you're to behave yourself in the house of God. And so when we come and we lay down our pattern as we do, we have elders and they rule the church and we have trustees and they look after the properties and we have deacons and they have their responsibilities, their duties are clearly outlined and defined. We operate in a, a well-established pattern. And once that's accepted and once that's recognized by everybody, you don't have any conflicts and you don't have any difficulties. This is the order in which we're to carry on the activities and the work of the church. Now let's go a step further. This text of ours says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now I have always loved this graphic picture here, and I've used it many, many times, and I think it's one of the most beautiful representations of the church that we have in the Bible. What is a pillar? It's a column. Here's a big column that rises up here. And what is the ground? Well, that's the foundation. So here is your foundation, and then here is your column, and then of the truth. And what is the truth? Jesus said, thy word is truth. Up here in the northern part of the state, Edison, who gave to us the electric light bulb, has a memorial in his honor. And you can see it as you drive along highway number one. I've seen it many times. And there's an immense column that goes up, way up into the air, and at the top of it, you have this electric light bulb. You have this immense light that is held up before everyone to see. Thomas Edison gave us that, and as a memorial to him, we, we put a, a light on top of a big column. It's a beautiful thing. I think that represents the church. Here's your column, and what's on the top of it? What's the light up there? It's the Word of God. Out in Kansas City, Missouri, they have another memorial of this nature just across from the great central station there over on a little hill. They have a memorial, a war memorial, and it has an immense column that goes up 
and at night there's a flame that comes out, and in the daytime there's a cloud, a pillar of smoke that comes out. So in the daytime you've got smoke coming out, and in the nighttime you have a light. That represents the children of Israel coming out of uh, Egypt, God guiding them by a cloud in the daytime and by a fire at night. And beloved, that's the picture of the church of Jesus Christ. We're the column. We're the ground. But we hold up that which is the truth. The truth. Now, I think it's very essential at this point when you see this beautiful figure that Paul uses for us to recognize that there is no truth in the church. The church gets all its truth from the Word. All of the truth which the church possesses, it gets out of the Word. It doesn't manufacture truth as it goes along. It doesn't have some progressive form of revelation as it moves along. No, the purpose of the church is to take the divine revelation that's committed to us and simply to proclaim it. Simply to proclaim it. You know, in this figure that the apostle uses, you can simplify this thing for the children. I think these boys and girls can understand this very well. And I always like to use this little illustration. Son, here's my pillar, see? I'm lifting up my arm. See this pillar? And here's the ground right here. I put my hand down under my elbow. You see how I do that? And then here's the truth. The Bible. And I put it right up on top. And here I have the ground. And here's the column. And here's the truth. Now that's the church. That's what we've got here this morning. That's what we have right now. And this is a gift from God to us, but you belong to this column that's helping to hold the thing up. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. Now let's turn this around just a little. And I can illustrate our problems as we're facing them today. 400 years ago, we had a Reformation in which the Protestant churches came out of the Roman Catholic Church. And this is what had happened 400 years ago. Instead of the Bible being on top of the church, the church had climbed up on top of the Bible. The church had climbed up on top of the Bible. And the church, by its traditions, by its interpretations, by its statement, added to the Bible that which the people received. And so to get to the Bible, you had to go down through the church and you had to listen to the church. And what Martin Luther did, and what our Protestant forebears did, was to say that the Bible should be taken out from underneath the church and put up again on top of the church. And it became our only infallible rule of faith and practice. Protestants have always said that the Bible is the only light and the only rule. And the Roman Catholic Church said, yes, the Bible is that all right, but you must also have the church and the traditions of the fathers. And Protestantism laid aside the church and the traditions of the fathers. And we just take the word of God and the word of love. Now this is what's happened in the 20th century. Here's the pillar, 
Here's the word up here. But in the 20th century, the assault has been made on this word. Inside of the pillar. The pillar, instead of holding it up, is attacking it and blasting it and discrediting it and slandering it and abusing it. And all of this is coming from inside of the pillar, which ought to be holding this thing up before the world. And so what we have at the present time is that the Bible is no longer underneath, the Bible's no longer on top, they've just laid it aside. And all you have left is just a pillar. And this is the voice of the church. These are the resolutions. These are the actions. These are the pronouncements of the General Assembly. And it's in this area now that the church has been liberated from the Bible. Church has been freed from all these old restraints. And now the church is one great column and it goes its way. And that's where we stand today in the history of the Christian church. And our struggle and our movement in dealing with the church is to bring the Bible back and put it up here where it belongs and where the Word of God keeps it. Beloved, there's no light in the church. The only light of this world is Jesus. There's no truth in the church. The only truth that we have to pay any attention to is the Word. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no power in the church. There's no power in this prop. There's no power or strength in this pillar. All the power and all the strength is from the gospel of Jesus Christ and from the Word of God. Now, this is what Paul told Timothy. Timothy, don't let the church run away with you. Don't let the church pick you up and let the church become your authority and your guide and your truth. Remember, the church is only a pillar. But oh, what a precious pillar it is which holds up the truth of God. And so when you love the Word, you're interested in a strong, clear pillar which will hold this message up. And that isn't done by the Rotary Club. That isn't done by the uh, Policeman's Association. Uh, that isn't done by uh, some of these lodges that some of you ladies belong to. No, beloved, it is the divine mission and the task of the church to do it. And that's why we're here, for that great purpose. Now, in our own statement of faith, and I must tell you people that we're grateful that we are a confessional church. We're not a little fly-by-night sect that just sprung up here with ten points that we confess. Oh, beloved, we are a people who desire to know all that the revelation has in it and which God has given to us and to our children. And so we have a great confession that summarizes these matters as God has revealed them to them. We are a confessional church. And when you come here and minister in this church and you come to hear the word, you're going to get doctrine from this pulpit which is in accordance with the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms which sets forth the system of doctrine presented. And you can be assured that when your son sits alongside of you in church and when 
your young children come and sit alongside of you in the pews of the church, that the word that comes from this pulpit will be consistent. And that the word that comes from this church will be the word that your fathers taught to you and which you want your children to learn today. And in our own great testimony we read all church power, whether exercised by the body in general or by representation by delegated authority, is only ministerial and declarative. That is to say that the Holy Scriptures are the only rule of faith and manners. The only rule of faith and manners that we have to present and which we must expound and which we must minister is this precious Bible which is the word of the living God. And beloved, here's a divine institution with some order outlined for us to maintain so that we may have a place where the doctrines of God and where the truth of the gospel may be expounded and presented for the blessing of our hearts, our souls, our families, and the years to come. Last evening, I had a gentleman meet me at the airport in Detroit, drive me in. There were three or four in the car. And when we got to the great rally we had in Port Huron, at the close of the meeting, he came and he said, I want you to meet my wife and my daughters. And here were three charming young ladies. And then here was his son that I'd met. And the mother said, she said, Dr. McIntyre, our daughter is uh, uh, ready to go to college next year. And we have been thinking maybe that we might send her to your college. We wish that you could give us a catalog or more information about it. And then the father stood there and he says, Dr. McIntyre, I'd like to have all my children go to the college that you're the president of. I turned to that man and that mother standing there and I says, my friend, I want to tell you something. If you send your young people to our college, I'll guarantee you that when they graduate in four years, they won't come home and tell you that you and your wife are old fogies. I'll guarantee you that when they go through our college and get the training that we have to give them, that they won't come back and tell you that, well, they no longer have the ideas that mother and father had because they are now out of date. Beloved, the word of God will never be out of date. And the gospel of Jesus Christ abides the same from generation to generation. And the reason we're willing to take the money and the strength and the time now to have a Christian high school here in Collingswood, and the reason we're taking the time and the strength and the trouble and suffering and all the problems that multiply to have a seminary and a college is that as a church... We want the young people who come up in our homes and out of our families to have a place where they can go and be trained and educated and become Christian leaders and Christian scholars, but that they will believe the everlasting gospel of the grace of God. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Oh, beloved, when you get away from this Bible and the church becomes corrupt, then, beloved, it just goes 
Wow. Well, I had someone bring to me the May issue of the Ladies' Home Journal that's on the newsstand. And here Bishop Pike has another big article on the new morality. And I read the thing and I said, oh, why should good, clean-minded women have to read this thing in their ladies' home journal? And then here Bishop Pike goes on and says, here's a situation where a man is married and he doesn't get along with his wife, there's problems there. He meets some other girl in the office and they get together and they live together. Then he begins to give you the reasons why maybe that could be justified. And then he takes another case where you've got nothing but just plain adultery and he says this is the situation and maybe that could be justified. And then he takes another case where uh, the whole emotions and the corruption of sex are revealed and agitated and he discusses the merits of that. And he says there, there are three ways you look at it. One is the old way, which we put under the list of a code. And he says, that's the Ten Commandments. And then there's another way where it's just uh, uh, no code, no restraint, uh, just uh, liberty. And then there's the other middle ground, which has to do with the situation as you may appraise it and so that nobody will be hurt and everything will be where, all right. And Bishop Pike turning away from the commandments of God, which he knows longer believes, goes out here to rationalize just what the Bible calls adultery. Just plain adultery. Filthy stuff. Now just because I've talked about it, please don't get it and read it. But we are confronted with the tearing down inside of the church under the name of a bishop. The moral lines which God has drawn for us to live together for the purity of the individual's life and character for the protection of the integrity of the home and for the good order of our society Bishop Pike would produce a Sodom and Gomorrah under the name of a bishop in the church Oh, beloved, the church of Jesus Christ is a pillar to the truth. It's a ground to the truth. And the greatest thing you can do is to belong to it and be a part of it for the maintaining of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in the third place, I said that this matter of the church pertains not only to order, not only to doctrine, but it pertains to worship. Worship. Worship God. We must worship in spirit. We must worship in truth. But you have a divine command resting upon you since you have been redeemed to worship your Creator, to worship your God. And when we built this temple here, we dedicated it to what? The worship of God. And when the Lord's Day comes around and the first day of the week comes, you should be in the house of God worshiping with His people. In fact, there's nothing you do seven days a week. Take your days. Will you? What do you do on Monday? What do you do on Tuesday? What do you do on Wednesday? What do you do on Thursday? Where do you go on Friday? What are you planning on Saturday? What do you do on Sunday? 
of all the things that you do. It makes no difference what it is. You have to eat breakfast. You have to get some dinner. You have to sleep at night. You have to go here. You have to go there. The most important thing you do as an individual and as a free man is to assemble with God's people, bow down and worship the living and the true God. The greatest act that you and I perform during the week is when we meet together right here and now and worship our Redeemer. All heaven worships Him. Why can't we meet and worship the living God? Holy, holy, holy. Let all the earth keep silent. Oh, the spirit of reverence, adoration, Respect for the living God should be yours when you sit in this pew. And you come and you open your soul and you say, Lord, feed me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I don't want serpents. I don't want stones. I don't want straw. I want the manna that comes from heaven. And they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And here we come. And when I look over this congregation this morning, and I see some of you people who've driven miles, 50 miles, 60 miles, 70 miles, to get to this church to worship. Yes, you've come because you don't want to worship with apostasy. You don't want to worship with idols. You don't want to worship in sin. You want to come and worship with a company that have separated themselves and are seeking to maintain the integrity of this book and the purity of the gospel and have a place where men's hearts are open freely to God. And oh, what a delight it is when you can come into the house of God where you are separate from idols and separate from apostasy. And you can have that purity and that holiness which the Lord says we must have when we come into his presence to worship him. Who was it one of the presidents of the United States said I'd rather be an elder than president of the United States? You men who are elders in this church, I say God bless you, but the greatest function you perform on this earth is to be an elder in the house of God and to confess your faith and to take your vows and help preserve and maintain a Christian church where men can worship the living God. Now that doesn't mean that worship has to be in these four walls. This is where we've appointed, this is where we come. You can worship, you know, at home, where two or three are gathered together in my name. And that's what they're doing in the catacombs of Russia today. That's what our dear brother are doing in the Cameroon today, where they had this free union ecumenical movement and the Presbyterian church divided. And here they were, 260 elders and ministers and 50,000 churchmen went out and they said, we're not going to go into this union, we're going to stay separate. And then the church leaders went to the political leaders and the political leaders and the church leaders got together as they're doing more and more today. And they turned and they said to the little remnant here, you can't worship outside of these ecumenical buildings. We won't permit you to hold assemblies. We won't permit you to preach. And so what have they done? They're holding their little classes in their own little huts with their little Bibles with their children. And real religious persecution has come in the Cameroon today. They won't go and worship with the ecumenical movement. They will not go and worship under the force of the political and the police powers telling them these are the buildings where you have to work. They belong to the ecumenical. Worship, beloved. Come and worship. 
worship. Come and worship. This is the call. But let's worship him in a place where the word is held up and where we help hold up the column, where we're a part of this column that's holding it up. Now in the fourth place, the church represents a great ministry of service. You're supposed to do more than just maintain a building. You're supposed to do more than just say, I belong to that place over there. You're supposed to do more than say, well, yes, uh, I, I believe in the sound doctrine. It's all right. You're supposed to do more and say, yes, I go to worship at Christmas and Easter. I go there. You're supposed to do more. You're supposed to do more. The whole ministry of the church is to the end that this testimony will be lifted up. We have to have choirs to sing our praises and to lead us in our adoration of God. Who makes up the choirs? Oh, we go down the street and get a lot of paid people that you can find them Saturday night in the pub or in the, in the uh, nightclub, but they're over here Sunday morning singing in the church. We take care of that all right. Is that the way we do it? No. We find that you have a voice. God's given you some talent. And we ask, will you take that voice of yours which God has given you and will you join here in this choir without any money and without any pay and will you sing the hallelujahs out of your soul and lead us in the great anthems of praise during our worship? Oh, yes, we have these children to teach. We must instruct them. We have a Sunday school, and we come here in the mornings, and we bring them in here, and we teach them, and we have teachers. And, oh, you dear teachers in this Sunday school, God bless you. How can we build a church without teachers? You can't do it. But we must have the right kind of teachers, and we must have teachers who can be able to instruct others, and we must have teachers who maintain and who are behind the testimony of the church and who understand the subtleties and the difficulties which are upon us today. Oh yes, we must have prayer meetings. And when the prayer meeting time comes around, where are we? Who does the praying? Do we all go out and get the atheists? Do we go down and get City Hall up here? Ask them to come in and join in prayer? No! The elders of the church! The trustees of the church! The deacons of the church! The Sunday school members of the church! Those of you who constitute the church! You're supposed to do the praying. And then where do we get the men to come and be the preachers? Where did I come from? Well, I was the son of a preacher. I was reared in a home where we would learn these things. But where did I come from? Where's the next man going to come from who's standing in this pulpit when the Lord takes us in His providence? Where's he going to be, Purdue? Son... Yes. And he's kind of laughing at me. Son, we need some preachers. Where are they going to come from? Right out of these pews, that's where they're coming from. Right out of these homes, that's where they're coming from. And God may lay his hand on your son and say, Son, I want you to go to the foreign field to be a missionary. And don't you say, Son, don't you go. You let God have your son. Let him do with your son what he wants to he belongs to him. Oh, beloved, you must help build the church of Jesus Christ. We must help build it. And I've said in this pulpit through the years, 
But if you're going to elect elders and trustees and deacons to this church, you elect the men who pray and who will come to prayer meeting. I don't believe in running the church by absentee uh, officials. You don't operate businesses that way. How should you run the church that way? Oh, beloved, this appeal, and now in the hour of our great opportunity, here's the United Presbyterian Church turning aside now to an entirely different idea of the church. My, they're going to have a nice organization which these men will run according to their insights. I don't trust their insights. I'm not interested in their insights. I'm interested in having a church run according to the revelation of God. Oh, the hours upon us in this nation. And when I look at South Jersey and I look at Philadelphia and I look at this area, my, oh, my, and I sit down and I write a book and I work and labor over this thing weeks and hours and it comes out called The Death of a Church. And here's the story. I wish we could get it into the hand of every member of the Presbyterian Church in this country and let them read it and ask God to use it. But how are we going to do it? Well, you could help. You could help. And when church time comes around, you people, you've got some visitors to your home, say, well, Aunt Mary, I'm sorry, I go to church tonight. Would you like to go with me? She says, no. Well, she says, all right, I'll see you when I get back. Oh, beloved, how in the world are we going to maintain a church if the people who are in it aren't going to help maintain the standards and aren't going to help lift up these things that pertain to holding up the Word of God? Beloved, you let the things of God be absolutely first in your life and first in your responsibility, and we'll build a great church. A year and a half from now, these men are coming from all over the world to the United States. Our friends in Korea, in India, in Africa, they're coming. They're coming to Cape May. And one place they want to see is colleagues. They'd like to see it. But, oh, beloved, when they come, I'd like to be dressed up. When they come, I'd like to be on the best uh, we could possibly be. Oh, beloved, there's no reason why we can't build this church here and let it be the pillar and the ground of truth. And when I look at some of you people, it takes you months and weeks and years to make up your mind you're going to join us. What's wrong with you? What's the trouble? You should help build a church and be a part of one as soon as you possibly can and help lift up the standard and help bring in the ungodly and help bring in those who are out of the apostasy and help build a church. As I tell you, we're not building a, a rotary society. We're building a divine institution which we want to keep according to the commandments of God. And when you think of the author of Hebrews over there in that 10th chapter in the 24th verse, and you come in the close just before he reaches the 11th chapter, he says, and don't you neglect the assembling of yourselves together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the coming of the Lord. The day of the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. It's coming. It's hovering over us. And as you see these days approaching, and you see these men like Bishop Pipe getting up and throwing away the Ten Commandments and telling young women and young men it's all right to go outside the marriage bonds and live together. What rot, what filth, what sin inside the house of God! Oh, beloved, 
We need to be a clean people, a pure people, a people who love God, and a people who are determined that we will preserve a church on this earth which will be faithful to his commandments. And then we'll have good homes and good families, and God will answer our prayers, and we can help our children, and when they go astray for a time, God will bring them back, and we'll be able to see God's mercy and goodness upon us as a family and as a church. That's what we want. Paul says, Timothy, I, I may be delayed, but I'm going to put these things down for you so you'll know how to behave yourself in the house of God. And this is the kind of elders I want you to have. This is the kind of women I want you to have. I don't want them tattletailing all around the place. I don't want them going on with all this sort of false accusation. I want you to have a church full of people that are seeking to be like Jesus. Seeking to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need. And that's what we want. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank Thee that the church is ordained of Thee. The church is a great tower and pillar of the truth. The church is the place where we drive miles and miles to worship together. And the church is a place where we manifest our service. Our service. In singing, in teaching, in working, in giving, in praying. It's a place where we can say, here I have raised my Ebenezer. And we thank thee for this great church and every member of it. And as we have exhorted now from the scriptures, may this exhortation take root in our heart and may we see the abiding fruit of it. Father, it hath been good for us to have been here today. For Christ's sake, amen. All right, let's close hymn number 273, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart.